0: If you're a first or second time guest with us this morning, we are really glad that you're here. You are coming in at the end of a series, I apologize for that, but you can get the whole series on CD if you really like what you hear this morning. Uh, We've been exploring over the last five weeks how to live free from the deadly trap of offense. Uh, This entire series is based on the book The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. You can purchase the book. Uh, It is pretty powerful. First three chapters rocked my world, changed my life. So let's review what we've learned so far with five statements from the first five sermons before we move on to this last part. In part one, the title of the sermon was, Many Will Be Offended. The statement that we said was this. How you respond to an offense is what will determine your life story. You will either, you're either going to become stronger through that offense or bitter. Right? We know this. Remember, an offended heart is the breeding ground for deception. And the walls that we build up around our hearts when people offend us, we think are there to protect us, but they're actually built by the enemy to torment us. When we build up walls to keep people out, who else are we keeping out? God. God. Part two was, how could this happen to me? This is the statement that comes from the life of Joseph. Absolutely no man, woman, child, or devil can ever get you out of the will of God. The only person who can is you. And one of the ways you get out of the will of God is by being offended. It is a sin. And sin separates us from God. Right? So remember, God uses our afflictions and the offenses as a process to cause impurities to rise into our life, so he can scoop them out, like anger. Sometimes when we're angry, there's a reason. And sometimes it's not your wife or your husband or your children. It's something that happened 20 years ago. Anger's not the issue. Offense is. But God wants to scoop anger out of your life by pointing out what you were offended about and who you were offended towards. The only way we can become more loving and forgiving towards others is to allow God, allow this process to happen, for God to point out things in our life that don't belong, right? Do you agree? Part three: who can come against the Lord's anointed? This statement comes from the relationship that David had with Saul. David became a man after God's own heart by leaving the judgment and punishment of his enemies. Everybody say it. God. to God. I don't know how many people have come into my office and wanted me to attack their spouse. We leave our enemies in the hands of God. Remember, when it comes to leaders in your life, your boss, your pastors, your spiritual leaders, your ministry leaders, you have to look beyond the behavior and respect the position of someone that God has placed over you. Which means, if they've offended you, because they probably will, do not come against the person by dragging them through the mud with your words and your actions and even your attitude. Part four, we talked about handling unfair treatment correctly. This is the statement. It may not always be possible to live peaceably with everyone, but that impossibility cannot come from the believer. Remember, God considers it an unrighteous act when we avenge ourselves. We also said that if we are holding on to offense, the blessings of God will not be granted to us. Part five, we talked about how to escape the trap of offense. This is the statement. A person who cannot forgive is a person who has forgotten what they've been forgiven of. A person who cannot forgive has totally forgotten about the cross. And perhaps because it was so long ago, and we're so far from it, over 2,000 years, that perhaps we've forgotten how important what Jesus did on the cross for us. Right? Your forgiveness, we said, is supposed to be just like your heavenly Father's. Never running out. The Bible doesn't suggest that you forgive, it commands you to forgive, right? God forgave us when we never deserved it. That means we have the ability to love and forgive in our hearts even when it's not deserved to give to the other person that hurt us. Amen? So, I'm convinced that this is a book that every Christian should read At least once a year, maybe twice. John Bevere actually started out this last session online by talking about a pastor that told him that he reads this book four times a year. A pastor. This pastor said, the reason I read it four times a year is because I want to keep a Teflon coating on my spirit so that offenses continually fall off of me. Those of you who cook know what I'm talking about. But I thought that pastors never sin. I thought that pastors weren't supposed to ever get offended. They're supposed to be perfect. No. This is wisdom. And because pastors deal with people, perhaps more than anyone, who think they're supposed to be perfect, perhaps they need to protect their spirits the most. John Bevere himself said that when the book came out on audio and he listened to it, just to check, up, check the quality of the book, three people came to his heart that he had not forgiven. This was years after he wrote the book. Today, in your notes, this is what we're going to discuss. A piece of seeking forgiveness that is often left out of the equation. In other words, a piece that almost no one is doing, including Christians, Today we're going to talk about reconciliation. This is the missing piece. This is the piece that requires you to go to someone. This is the piece that's missing. Here's the definition of reconciliation. It's the restoration of friendly relations. We all know that God is in the restoration business, right? And if God is in the business of restoration, it would make sense that his children... Should also constantly be seeking reconciliation and restoration. Amen? Okay. In this word, there's a root word, conciliation. And conciliation means the action of stopping someone from being angry. Isn't that interesting? Restoration comes from the Hebrew word kafar. Which means to forgive, to cover, or to make an atonement for. So, I just want to show you what atonement means. Atonement is a condition without tension. Look at those definitions. We're supposed to reconcile, we're supposed to atone, we're supposed to live in conciliation. We're supposed to restore all relations back to a friendly place if possible. Your end is possible. We're supposed to always be in the action of stopping someone from being angry, including ourselves. And we're, we're supposed to live with other people without tension. What what are we supposed to live with? L O V E. Not tension. Right. Think about it. When Christ died on the cross, did he not remove the tension between us and God? He did. So keep this in mind as we talk today about how we're supposed to first confess our sins, secondly, we're supposed to ask for forgiveness, and then lastly, when possible, we are to reconcile the relationship. And I'll explain this as we go on. And like I've shared before, early on in this series, when I went through inner healing, and you're going to hear John Bevere, this this entire sermon is really John Bevere talking about an illustration that he had with a pastor in his life. But remember I told you that when I went through inner healing, the very first thing that the Holy Spirit pointed out to me was my pastor that I was holding unforgiveness towards because he committed suicide. Now, let me ask you, can I reconcile that relationship? No, he's dead. So when possible, when possible, we're supposed to reconcile the relationship. Just keep that in mind. What reconciliation means, what conciliation means, and what atonement means. Because, and this is important for us to understand in your notes, there is a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness usually involves one person. Reconciliation always involves two people. I believe this is why it's the missing element of the equation of forgiveness. Because it's really hard to go to someone and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've hurt you. Or it's really hard to go and say, you offended me. John Bevere talks about someone in his life who was a spiritual father to him, much like Saul was to David. And John said that this man had done some very devastating things to him in the course of one year. And it was so bad, and it was so obvious to the people in his church that they were going to John all the time saying, Are you okay? And John kept saying, Yeah, I'm fine. Then they pressed him. And some of them said, Are you going to go to him? John said, No, I'm just going to go on with the calling on my life. I'm good. What John didn't realize at the time was that he was too proud to admit that he was offended. You see, John saw that being offended was a sign of weakness. It's not. What happened? Well, John admits that as months go by, he started to realize that the love of God in his heart began to grow colder and colder, not only towards this man, but towards God. Remember, we said that this is the cause of offense. It's when our love grows cold towards God, which results in our love growing cold towards other people. And we're in the people business. We can't afford to have our love grow cold towards people. John said that this was a sign that something was wrong in his heart. And when his ministry and people became an occupation, not a passion, are you hearing me this morning? He noticed that he stopped weeping in the presence of God. Other people were meeting with God and he felt nothing. He eventually went into his backyard and he looked up at God and he said, God, am I offended? What do you think God said? He screamed, yes. And he said to God, God, I don't know how to get out of this. He said, I've asked for forgiveness. I've fasted. I've confessed. I've prayed. I've had other people pray with me. Why am I so tormented with this? Why can't I get out of this? A little while later, John was at a funeral where this man was conducting the funeral. And three-quarters of the way through the funeral, he said, wells of emotions broke open. And he began to weep. And he started saying, I forgive you. I release you. I forgive you. I release you. And when the funeral was over, John admitted that he had to leave immediately. And he ran out of the funeral home and he said, it's done, I'm free. I've forgiven him. Everything is great now. Well, and you know this story of your own life. He ran into that guy two weeks later. And the first thing he thought was, how can that man be so blessed? I mean, he did this to me, and he did that to me. And he did that to another person. He went home thinking about it. He talked about it with his wife. He thought about it all afternoon. He talked about it again with his wife at dinner. He went to bed thinking about what this man had done to him. He got up the next morning thinking about it. Got into the shower thinking about what this man had done to him. Then John said he got scared. And he thought, wait a minute. I cried actual tears about this. Why, am th- why is this man, why is what he has done to me still tormenting me? So remember what we said. If the words or actions that someone has done to you keep replaying over and over in your mind, it's a sign that you may be offended. Even if you're in denial about it. Even if they confront you and say, did I offend you? And immediately we would just wanna go, no, no, no. You, it's okay. We don't even, we're not even honest. They're looking for an answer. We can say, yes, you did. But I'm sorry that I've been holding on to things towards you and boom, boom, boom. That's what usually happens. John realized that there was a truth that he still did not understand. And it's found in the words of Paul in Acts chapter 24, 16. And herein do I exercise, everyone say the word exercise. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. So let's go to the root of the word exercise, okay? The Greek word is a a scale, and this is how it's defined to exercise oneself, to exert all one's diligence, to endeavor, to strive, to engage in some activity with both continuity and effort, continual action. Right? This is where we get our title for today in your notes Freedom from Offense or Forgiveness is a Focused. Exercise. Just like when you go to the gym, right? Uh, Let me think. Damon, do you have the courage to come up here for a minute? I wanna give them a visual illustration. Look how scary this dude is. thought I was tall. Some offenses are like that. They hurt, right? Are you okay? He's not scared of me at all. Some offenses, when they come, they hit us. But when it's all over, it's really no big deal, right? Right? But if I were to take this puppy, (laughs) no, this is mine. And if I were to bash this over Damon's head, what's going to happen? He's going to be wounded. And do you know that wounds don't heal overnight? And if they're not properly treated, they never heal. So sometimes we get offended. Oh, he's going to get even with me. He just doesn't dare do it on Facebook. Sometimes they hit us and they hurt, but we get over it. And then sometimes people come along and they wound us. Thank you. You still love me? Why do you think I chose Damon? Why do you think I chose him? Because he's big and he's strong. Notice I was covering up my arms when he was up here. If I would have pushed Jerry Gamble as hard as I pushed Damon, he would have been going to the doctors this week. No offense, Jerry. But Damon can handle it. In your notes, and this is what Amy, I believe, covered last week. There are Christians like Damon who are strong in the spirit, and they are not easily wounded. Let me repeat that. There are Christians who are strong in the spirit, and they are not easily wounded. They are Psalm 119 Christians. Look at this verse from Psalm 119, 165. Great peace... Great peace. That's the theme today, by the way, part of the theme that the intercessory team, prayer, uh, team uh, felt, and also I felt on Friday night it fuel the fire. And when Katie told me what they, what they were praying about this morning before service, when they were praying for you, there was a theme of peace. And I actually, I already picked it as well with my soul for the end of the service, because we're going to start with peace like a river, Whatever my lot. No matter whether I get offended or hurt or my car breaks down, peace. It is well. It is well. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Everybody say that. And nothing shall offend them. Why? Because they love God's law. They are building up their spirit with God's written word. Amy also touched on this last week. But there are also Christians in your notes who are weak in spirit. They are not praying. They are not building up their inner man. They are not spending time in the word. So listen, they are easily wounded. One little thing you say to them, gone, quit the church. 15th church they've quit in three months. That's not even possible, I don't think. You get my point? It's one of the reasons why people church hop. They're being offended every place they go. And they're blaming all 15 churches. I would think after 15 churches, the problem is... But there are people who do spend time praying and worshiping and fasting. And like Damon, they're strong and they're ready. They're not easily wounded. It would take me a lot to wound that boy. I'm telling you. You see what I'm saying? And I'm sure that Damon would tell you that at a certain point, or anybody that's in physical... is anybody work in physical therapy, by any chance? Here? Lacey? Anybody else? Anybody work out at a gym on a regular basis? Anybody? Has, has anybody ever had an injury where they had to go to physical therapy and go to a gym and work it out? Okay, good. More people. So you'll understand this. At a certain point of the healing process, the way to heal a wound is exercise. So what is physical therapy? Physical therapy is, listen, focused exercise to a wounded part of the body. Why? To build up strength in that area and to get that part of the body back to where it was before it got injured. Well, this is what God had spoken to John Bevere when, he, when John asked God, why am I still tormented with this offense? God said, Exercise. So the Holy Spirit nudged John to read Matthew 5, and this is what he saw from Jesus' own words. Matthew 5, verse 44. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for anyone who mistreats you. Did you know that not once in the whole Gospels did Jesus tell us to pray for our mothers? He never told us to pray for our fathers. We do pray for them, right? We do. But what's amazing is the person that Jesus does tell us to pray for. In your notes, Jesus specifically isolates one person that you must pray for. And that's the person who hurts you. The person who persecutes you. The person who mistreats you. The person who talks bad about you at work and at school. The person who steals your boyfriend or your girlfriend. The person who lies about your church and your pastor in the community. This is very interesting. So after God revealed this to John, he got up the next morning, so now he's like, renewed, I'm okay, I'm going to pray. So he started pacing around his house, and he started praying, God bless him. God bless him. That was all he had to offer. That was it. That's all he could muster up. The next day, he got up and he prayed, Lord, if you can, bless this man. So John kept praying that way every day with no feeling, with no passion. And after five weeks, he admits that nothing had changed in his heart towards this man. And after a three-day fast about this man, God nudged him to read Psalm 35. And he pointed out four verses from Psalm 35. Verses 11, starting with verses 11 from the Good News Translation. Evil people testify against me and accuse me of crimes I know nothing about. They pay me back evil for good. Evil for good. All I did was good. And they're paying me back evil. And I sink in despair. And John is hoping that what David is going to say next is go ahead and punch their lights out. (laughs) Because that's what the world does, right? Their solution for offense is blow for blow. What is our solution? Killing our enemy with kindness. Yes. So look what he says next. Verse 13. But when they were sick, my enemy, I dressed in... I mourned for them. I even deprived my, <coughs> myself of food. What's that, what does that mean? He fasted for his enemies, for the people who mistreated him. Then I Pray. prayed with my head bowed low, as I would pray for a friend or a brother. In your notes, what does this mean? It means to pray into your enemy's life the same blessings that you want for your life, that you want for your family's life, that you want for your friend's life. Are you getting that? Pray into your enemy's life the same blessings that you want for your life. Ooh, that is difficult. John immediately got up from the table, and his prayer for his enemy completely changed after reading this verse. So his prayer started to go like this. Father, I pray that this man will know you the best way that he can know you. I pray that this man will please you the best way that he can please you. I pray, Father, that you will reveal your heart to this man. I pray that you will surround this man with godly men and godly women that would speak godly counsel into his life. Father, I pray that you will deliver this man. Lord, I ask that you will bring finances in for his ministry from unexpected sources. I asked that you would protect his wife and his children. Wow. John admits at first, it wasn't easy to pray this, that it was actually painful. Do you know that most people think that in order for our prayers to be correct and accurate, that they have to feel good? But think about it. When you have an injured knee, and the, fear, and the physical therapist puts you on a leg curl machine. You will want to scream and hit that therapist, right? Why? Because it is painful. So listen, in your notes, when it comes to our enemies, you can't just pray what feels good. You sometimes have to pray what is truth. Amen. And the truth of God's word says to pray blessings into their life. May be painful, may not feel good, but it's truth. So John just kept praying for this man this way, with as much passion as he could muster up. But he kept doing it every day. And after two weeks, John said that he started to feel a little bit more passion for this man. And with a little more excitement. And that's when he realized that he was starting to get healed from the offense. And one day, while John was walking down the sidewalk, something rose up inside of him as he was praying for this man. And he looked up at the sky and he just screamed, So and so, I love you. And he said, Immediately, things fell off of his body in the spirit. Immediately, it left his body. And you know what he thought? I'm totally healed. I'm totally healed. So he went home screaming and yelling, and he told his wife that he was healed. Two weeks later, he saw this man again, and guess what? He had this uh, this pain in his gut when he saw this man, and he knew that the offense was still there. And he said, "Honey, what is going on?" And you know, God puts women in our lives for a reason. They are so full of wisdom. And she, he admits, my wife is so full of wisdom, and he said, she said to him, honey, there's one thing you haven't done. What is he missing? You need to go to him. John said, no, 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 I've prayed, I've exercised, I've fasted, I'm healed, I don't need to go to him. But after praying about it with God, what do you think God told him to do? Yes, you need to go to him. There are two times that Jesus tells us to go to your brother. But let me show you how most of us interpret how we're supposed to go to our brother. Mikey, I need you real quick. Giving you a pass, Damon. When Jesus says, go to your brother, this is what we think it should be. This is what we think it's supposed to be done. Mike, I don't know if you know this, but you offended me, and I forgive you. That's what we think. Thank you, Mikey. What are we doing when we do that? We are using Scripture to vomit all over the person that has offended us. Because we want them to know just how badly they treated us. But that's not what Jesus had in mind when he said, go to your brother. He didn't say, vomit all the hate and all the hurt onto them. When Jesus said, go to your brother, he has the purpose of reconciliation in mind. Remember, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And this is where many of us get it wrong. They're separate. In order to understand the difference, you have to look at the cross in your notes. When did Jesus forgive us? Jesus forgave us before we ever said, I'm sorry. I don't know about you, but I wasn't at the cross. So years later, thousands of years later, I went to an altar and I said, Jesus, forgive me. I'm sorry. And he forgave me. But he already died for me years before that, right? How many of us have said, please don't raise your hand, I will forgive them when they apologize to me? That's what most of us do. What if Jesus had waited for us to apologize before he forgave us? We would be in hell. But he chose chose to forgive us before we ever said, I'm sorry. Are you getting this? Reconciliation is not waiting for them to apologize. Now, in your notes, when were we reconciled back to Jesus? When we repented. When we went to God and said something out loud, I'm sorry for the way I've treated you. Instead of pointing out what they did to us. What led to us, what led us to repentance? Romans 2 says it was the goodness and kindness of God that leads you to repentance. So in your notes, when Jesus says, go to your brother, this is so huge, what he has in mind is this: create an atmosphere of goodness and kindness that's going to make your offender say, hopefully, I'm sorry. If you do it properly, 99% of the time, they will say, I'm sorry, I did not mean to hurt you. I wasn't even aware of it. There will be some that will say, get out of here. You big baby, you got offended over that? You're, what a wimp, you need to read your Bible more. Remember, when possible, reconcile. It's not always possible. So sometimes they're already dead, but you can reconcile yourself with God, Sometimes they won't accept the fact that they've done something wrong or that you've done something to them and they just won't listen. Create an atmosphere of goodness and kindness when you go to them that will make your offenders say, I'm sorry. John felt that God wanted him to buy this man a really, really nice gift. So John bought this man, are you listening? Something that he wanted and he never got. And he went to his office And presented the gift to this man. And this is what he said. I just want to show you how much I appreciate what you do. The man opened his gift and his eyes grew huge. John said that he was speechless. He couldn't say a word. And John said this to him. You know what? I've been praying. And I've realized that I've been very critical of you. He said, oh, no, no, John. You have not been critical of me. John said, no, no. I know what God showed me in my heart, and I've been critical towards you. The man said, John, I forgive you. The man opened up immediately, and guess what he started doing? He started confessing all that he had done to John and everyone in the church. And it was at that moment that John said the relationship was restored. Because there was nothing between them at that point. John said that he remembered, after walking out of that office, he felt as free as he ever felt in his entire life. And he was a minister. And this is what he said to his wife about this man. You know what? When I first met that man, he could do no wrong in my eyes, and I loved him. That's immature love. Then I saw his faults, and his faults were directed towards me, and I didn't love him anymore. That's immature love. You know, what I, you know what though? Now I still see his faults, but I love him with the intensity of when I first met him. Mature love. That has to be the love of God because First Peter 4.8 says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins, even against you. Love covers it. John says that he can pinpoint that it was at that moment when he reconciled with this man that everything in his family life changed. Everything in his ministry changed. Remember, when we stay offended, the blessings of God will not be granted to us. He said that everything changed forever at that point. His ministry just took off. His family life just took off. Now, just as a side note, there are two times that Jesus says, go to your brother. In Matthew 5, it says, if your brother has something against you. And in Matthew 18, it says, if, something, if you have something against your brother. That's the two reasons why you go to your brother. If you find out that they have something against you, you don't wait for them to come to apologize. You go find out what you've done and seek forgiveness. If you have something against your brother, you go and fix it. So let's repeat what we said in closing. Closing means I have another 10 minutes, so hang in there. Let's repeat what we said in the first sermon, Luke 17.1. It is impossible that no offenses should come. They're coming. So remember, an offense is the bait that Satan uses to trap the believer in his snare into his captivity. Why? To torment you. To divide us. And to destroy us. That's why. So the bottom line for this entire series is this, and we've already looked at it, but it's very vital. This verse in Romans 12, verse 18. If it is possible, everybody say the next part, as much as depends on you, me, live peaceably with all men. So important, as much as it depends on you, the believer, live in peace with everyone. In other words, sometimes it's not possible. There will be people that you will never be able to be reconciled with. Sometimes they're dead, sometimes they won't return your phone call. But Matthew 18 tells us how to handle most of these situations. But don't miss the point. The impossibility of living in peace should not come from the believer. Let me end with a story from the book. John was doing a conference in Florida and the leader of the conference invited a man to come up to the stage before he introduced John. John said that as this man was walking to the stage, it looked like he literally just walked off the construction job. He had a dirty shirt, terrible jeans, dirt everywhere, holes in them. And he walks onto the platform in front of a packed audience and the leader starts to interview him, but he stopped and said, you know what? Why don't you just tell your story? So the man takes the microphone and he says, I'm 36 years old, I've been raised in a Christian home, I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember, but for all of my life, there's been this wall between me and God. He said, I would go into services like this, where people are getting touched by the presence of God, and I feel completely on the outside looking in. I feel like there's this wall. I would pray, and I would try to get into the presence of God, but I was never able to do it. Listen, because this may be you this morning. He said, a couple of weeks ago, someone put into my hands the book, The Bait of Satan. I read the book in two days. When I got to the end of the book, I realized that I had held on to some unforgiveness towards my mother. You see, my mother gave me away when I was six months old. But after reading the book, I contacted, contacted, contacted my mom for only the second time in 36 years. And I said, Mom, I have held unforgiveness against you for over 36 years for giving me away. She started crying immediately and she said, I have hated myself for over 36 years for giving you away. He forgave her. And guess what she did? She forgave herself. Remember, guys, Jesus said if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. That includes you. You need to forgive yourself. Now the guy is crying uncontrollably on the stage. Soaking his beard and his shirt. He looks at everyone weeping and he says, now the wall between me and God for 36 years is completely gone and I can't stop crying. I've been crying like this for the last three weeks. He said, I cry like this when I pray in the morning. I cry like this when I come to any church service. So, listen, guys, do you have a right to be offended? You have a right to do anything you want. God even gives you a right to go to hell. He will protect that right. He doesn't want that for you, but He's given you free will. But if you walk with God, you do not have the right to be offended. You know why? First, it's a sin. And secondly, Two wrongs never make something right. They may have mistreated you. The fact that they mistreated you, it was wrong. Go ahead, Richard. But the sin of being offended is not justified by the fact that you were mistreated. They may have sinned, but you sinning doesn't make it right. I know this is difficult. This is really hard. This makes Christians sound wimpy. Mm. No, 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 no. Look how much Jesus looked like a wimp on the cross to the world. And yet he was the deliverer of us all. He delivered the world by looking weak. In your notes. When we are mistreated what we need to do now is pray. Take responsibility for our sin and confess for holding on to offense and refusing to forgive. Then we need to forgive. And then, if possible, we need to reconcile the relationship. What I want you to understand is that your spiritual, willi- your spiritual maturity depends on your willingness to face forgive, and release anything that anybody's ever done to you. And that's going to take focused exercise of you building up your spirit. Every morning, the the, the woman who led us through inner peace, when she uh, found out what Angel and I were going through here at the church, she said, you need to wake up every morning and go to bed every night praying for the armor of God. Name every piece. So that means if you don't know what the pieces are, you better go to the Word and memorize them. Father, this morning as I head into work, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to turn off Brad Paisley. I don't even know any country singers now. <laughs> I don't listen to it anymore. Is that a guy? Okay, that was good. Uh, I'm going to turn him off and I'm going to pray for a moment. I don't know if I'll turn him back on or not. I'm not going to tell you to. I pray for the helmet of salvation to be on my head today. Help me to keep the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, the shoes of peace and the belt of truth. I want to be a warrior for you and I will not let the enemy attack me and affect, well, he'll attack, but he's not going to affect me today. Everything he throws at me today will bounce off of me. We have to continually pray. We have to continually worship. We have to continually read the word. We have to continually study fast, giving of your time, talents, and finances. Do you know when you took the membership covenant, because next week I think we're going to be bringing in like seven more. When you took the membership covenant, you said I'm making God and church my number one priority, even in the summer when there's all these distractions to not be here. You see, the numbers are down. Summer's here, and the enemy likes to throw all these distractions at us of why not to come to church because it's finally warm outside. Let's take out our connection cards. Maybe you're here today and you've never, ever said the prayer of salvation and asked Jesus to come into your heart. Maybe it's because you've been so angry about what someone did to you years and years and years ago. And you've been angry at God. Maybe you feel like God offended you. You can say a prayer today and just say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm done living in this anger and bitterness. I'm going to let it go today. I'm going to begin a relationship by trusting God with my life. I'll figure out all the rest later. You don't have to be perfect. None of us get in the bath before we go into the shower, right? That would be crazy. Well, I need to get cleaned up before I get in the shower. Just come to Him. He'll work it out with you. The Holy Spirit will guide you and help you work out all the junk that's in your life. There's so many people that are saying, I will commit to God after I fix some things. No, you come to God to fix things. Maybe you're here today and it's box number two and maybe you've just walked away from church or you walked away from God and you want to renew that relationship and get back on track and let go of some things today. You can do that. Look at box three and four together. To learn to create an atmosphere of goodness and kindness towards my offenders. Maybe you haven't been handling it properly and you want to learn that whenever you come face-to-face in Martins with one of your offenders that it's always goodness and kindness that you show to them. Perhaps that love and that goodness and that kindness will cause them to say, I'm sorry, I don't deserve your love. I know I've hurt you. And you just keep throwing love at me and I can't handle it anymore. Wouldn't that be great? Stop loving me, I don't deserve it. Yes, you do. And the last one. This is the part, this is the action part. To forgive someone today and then reconnect with them with the purpose of reconciling the relationship. Restoring the relationship. Today, make a decision. Whoever it is that you know you've forgiven, they may have forgiven you, but you have not had a face-to-face conversation where you've apologized. Today, you make that decision. I'm going to restore the relationship. Please place those in the baskets on your way out. So we always end with a prayer. Before you stand, you need to understand something. The hardest part of forgiveness is when you have to go to someone and ask them for forgiveness. Reconciliation is action. It's the piece that's missing. And it's why so many of you have not been set free. Because you've missed the last part that John missed. And he wrote the book. What I'm challenging you to do today is to take a giant step in your relationship with God. And if you follow through with today's message and actually do it, I guarantee you, guarantee you, you will have a story next Sunday to tell us. Let's stand. After we pray, we're going to just open the altars. You're you're dismissed after we pray if you need to go. Don't feel bad about that. There's no guilt here. The only guilt here is from God, and it's called conviction, but not from me. Maybe today, because of Tommy's testimony, maybe God wants to release the baptism of Holy Spirit into your life. Maybe you just come to the altar for that. You can do that. A team will be ready to pray for you. The intercessory prayer team and the leaders of the church will pray for you. Just tell them specifically that you want to be baptized in the Spirit. But maybe you're here today and God has nudged you and he said, you know what? John's right. Pastor Mark's right. God's right. There is somebody that I've known that I was supposed to go to and speak face to face with and fix a relationship and I'm too scared. And maybe you just need some courage, encouragement, courage and boldness. Maybe you need someone to actually tell you what to say. Come up front and we'll help you with that. It's okay if you don't know what to say. And we'll help you with that. Alright. Everybody bow your head. Place a hand on your heart. And repeat after me. Lord, protect my heart from being deceived by the bait of offense and with the help of the Holy Spirit to create an atmosphere of goodness and kindness towards those who have offended me and to pray for them to be blessed with a focus of restoring the relationship so that we both may live in total freedom. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great week.